back to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Liz. And I'm Holly. And let's jump right in. <laughs> you you don't want to, like, preface anything with the fun we've been having for the last two hours? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have been... <laughs> there has been a lot of, a lot of um, fun and, and challenges. Yeah. In the last like... two hours. We spent about half the last half an hour trying to connect to the school. To try and connect to this audio. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. It's, it, we were talking like no big thing, catching up and um, hearing each other just fine. But apparently, um, good thing we did a test audio because we're using yes, Skype. Skype. We used to we used to be using Zoom. So we're on a new platform this week. <laughs> and uh, if you ever are recording a podcast and decide to change platforms, please do some trial test runs of your recording because, wow, that would have been catastrophic had we recorded the show and had to read yeah. the entire thing. Uh, yeah, that would have been pretty crazy because I'm pretty sure this is going to be like a reasonably long show um, <laughs> just because of the topic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that, that wouldn't have been fun. And you've got to graduate in like four hours, so... Yeah, I have to run our high school graduation, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on a time crunch here. We can't do this again, so, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but Liz, you have big news, so something has changed in your life since we last recorded. Uh... <laughs> I'm like, did you forget? I <laughs> you got married. I mean, I got my nails done. <laughs> and priorities. You got beautiful new shoes. I love the shoes that you wore for your wedding. Oh, I love my shoes. I got yeah, I got my nails to match as well. Oh, oh, and look at your pretty I rings. I love them. Oh, yay! Well, con- congratulations. Thank you. It's been, so two weeks and a day today um, that we've been married. So, yeah, it's gone, it's gone really fast. Yeah, well, just, just, just wait. It's really strange being yeah. Mrs. Stevens. I still I haven't quite got used to that yet. I have got my, my marriage certificate now, which is good, so I can actually change my accounts and things like that. So so now you're official, official, official. Now it's official, yeah. Now it's official, official. Official, official. Well, <laughs> Just wait. It'll fly by, uh, and then you'll yeah. be like Greg and I. We Our anniversary is actually on Monday. The day that this episode drops is our right. wedding anniversary. Um, right. And it's 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 been a while. Um, I'm old, so it's... it's, it's oh, so we both got May, May weddings. That's we do. Cute. Isn't that cute? It's yeah. just another thing that we have in common. I know. <laughs> like we share a brain and it everything. It's the 22nd. <laughs> yeah, the twenty second. So, um, yep we we are quickly approaching. Um, next year will be our twenty fifth. So Monday will be our twenty fourth. No yeah, I told you Aww. I was old. I, no, I'm not old. I we got you married not, when we were eight. <laughs> I was gonna say you must get married when you were like seven. Six. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're not old twenty five years. Yeah. So yep. This. And, and it's kind of kind of sucks a little bit because next year will be our 25th and we talked about wanting to do like vow renewals for our 25th or whatever but my son also graduates high school next year like the same weekend as our 25th anniversary so we're like um what That's do we do sweet. yeah That's i know so i mean you could always do it like can you do it exactly on the 25th next year oh, no, right not exactly exactly on your anniversary what date does does he graduate He'll graduate the Saturday, so he'll probably, it'll probably, next year's a leap year, so it'll probably be right around May 18th, so 
at oh, once. Oh, so you'll be fine. So you can have yeah. it, yeah. So, oh, yeah, May 23rd next year is a Thursday. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just have your yours on the actual day. That'd be really cute. Yeah. So otherwise, technically, you kind of got to remember two anniversaries. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that's exciting life news. Um, and, and our other big conversation is we're going to get you hooked on Starbucks drinks over there in uh, the UK. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I've never been much of a fan of Starbucks, but mainly because I mean I don't drink coffee, so uh, we already have this conversation. We both don't drink coffee, and so when we go to a coffee shop, it's either usually like some sort of tea or some sort of nice kind of fruity cold drink or hot chocolate. I like eat hot chocolate in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I haven't been to Starbucks for a long time. And we're talking about the ones that, that Holly always has and the fact that some of them I can't have because the UK sucks and it <laughs> doesn't do them all. Uh, but I can have Steph's favorite drink, which is the uh, strawberry ac- acai. Is it acai or is it acai? I don't. I pronounce it acai, which I think is even more okay, weird. But it's like I don't know. I like to pronounce every letter potato, in words. Potato, tomato, tomato. Exactly. So, but whatever. Um, but yeah, so that one's available. Um, so I might have to yeah take a trip to Starbucks at some point. Yeah, exactly. Just to get that because it's, it's on my mind now. I can't get it out of my mind. I know. It, it becomes a problem. Like, once you start drinking Starbucks, I, I swear they put something in it and you keep going back. And so it's, but uh, it's my, it's my sinful pleasure. So I will be more than well, happy to. Mine's not too close, so. Oh, okay. Well, if I can be a bad influence a little bit on you, we'll, we'll take it. It'll be a win. Holly, you're always a bad influence for me. I'm sure, like, the amount of books I bought from your recommendation, I'm pretty sure that it comes to quite a lot of money. Which means that the drinks that I recommend from Starbucks, you know, are going to be good. That is true. That is very true. And the fact that you don't like coffee as well just kind yeah. of makes it that much better. Yeah, so I don't. All right. Well, enough <laughs> nonsense and enough about us. All right, Liz, get us started. Okay, where do we start? I mean, uh, as we may already know, the, this episode is all about the wizarding world of Harry Potter. So, very exciting. And I've been wanting we, we... to do this episode for two years. Like, literally, since we started this podcast, I've I mean, been like, yeah. Liz, can we do Harry Potter? Liz, can we do Harry Potter? Please, Liz. It's like a little kid begging her parent to let her do something. And finally, she gave in, and she's like, absolutely, let's do it. So, thank you, Liz. Yeah, and um, next month is our two-year um, podcast anniversary. I know. Two years. Two it's crazy. Years. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely mental. Um, but, yeah, so in a bit we'll be speaking everything Harry Potter from books, films, remakes, and everything in between. Uh, but first, let's go through a bit of the bookish news from this month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, first off, Lessons in Chemistry and Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, you may know, are being adap- um, adapted into films. Um, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes we've known about for quite some time now. I think it's been kind of news for about a year now that we've uh, heard about this. Ah, but the trailer just dropped. But, yep, the trailer has just been released. And, oh, my God, Songbirds and Snakes looks amazing. I am so excited. So good. Oh, I'm so excited. And it's like, November, isn't it? It's not yeah, even it's... that long, uh, mm-hmm. not that far away. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. Um, and Lessons in Chemistry, it does look pretty awesome. It looks pretty amazing. Um I don't know why I'm not as excited, but I think it's just because, I mean, Ballad of Sunglasses and Snakes is The Hunger Games. And that was, for me, kind of like late teenage years. And that's a lot of nostalgia there. So I think I think that one just I've got, I'm a bit more excited for. 
Um, you know, and also, it, we haven't really got a date yet for Lessons in Chemistry, but that's coming to Apple TV Plus rather than yeah. the cinema. And it'll be in the fall. Like, I know it has a fall release. Mm. We just don't know what when exactly in the fall it'll be released and and it's and it's hard like for me i agree with you 100 percent, liz on um it's it's the ballad of um songbirds and snakes it's hunger games it's like there's oh i just love hunger games so much and i know um like my my kids like my son read all of the three hunger games books and he's not a reader but he loves them he's so excited for this one he hasn't read this one um but he's super excited he he, like when when the trailer dropped within like minutes of the trailer dropping he's like mom 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 you gotta watch the trailer watch the trailer pull up the trailer like he turned on tv he got like you know youtube pulled up on the tv and and he's like like let's let's watch he's so excited about it yeah. Um. And and I and I just we love going to the movies as a family. We just we're always going to the movies. Yeah. But lessons in chemistry. I don't know if it's because it's a more recent read for me. Like I just read it in like February, like January, February, and loved it. Like absolutely, it just resonated it with me. Like on I don't know, like this. Level. Yeah, <laughs> on like this, this like huge level. And it's not a movie. It's it it's like a you know it's gonna be one of those like little. I guess oh, it was, it I, series. I think it's a series. I could be completely, totally wrong, but I thought, I thought it. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Probably so, should have like prepped So more, we <laughs> probably should have been better podcast hosts and know actually what we're talking about. But I, I, you know, and it's weird because I'm not a historical fiction person. I don't like historical fiction, and this is said in the past. I mean, not like you know the 1700s, but it, it's it's set back in the 1960s or whatever, and. It's just, I don't know. There's just something about lessons in chemistry that I am so, so excited mm-hmm. about. I don't know if it's because it's a woman in science and she does this crazy cooking show and it's just like, I don't know. I'm excited about both for two completely different reasons. That's the moral of this long-winded explanation. I think, see, the thing is, with some birds and snakes, it's easier to do and easier to succeed at because, because of the fantasy style, it's really easy as long as you've got a big budget for CGI and for effects, then, and you've got a, a like a half decent cast, you're there. But because of lessons in chemistry, because it's not some big fantasy thing, because it's such a, a hard hitting, emotional kind of um, slightly romance, uh, slight romance angle, you are very much relying on the performance of the cast and the director. So it's going to be a harder one. It's going to be harder to, to do a good job of. Mm-hmm. And you and also have I love the... it so much, I'm a bit more kind of wary of. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm a bit, yeah. I kind of, I don't want it to rid of me. Well, and Songbirds and Snakes has the legacy of Hunger Games. Like, people are going to like it and exactly. want to watch it just because of the Hunger Games. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it's any of those those movies that are, you know, attached to something that has had such huge, tremendous popularity. So... But both are coming out this fall. Both are going to be super, super good. And I am going to make it a priority list to watch season two of Shadow and Bone before <laughs> these come out. That's good. Did you finish the eleven twenty two sixty three TV series? No. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. And, 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 and here, here's why. So I enjoyed the book it was it it was a book for sure 
Um, obviously it had pages and words and pages, whatever. Um, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a monstrous book to get through. It was a beast. It was yes. A beast. <laughs> and it was my first Stephen King and I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I did. I really enjoyed it. But, and I was warned, like Stephanie warned us that the, the TV adaptation is a lot different than the book. I couldn't get past I just couldn't get past it. It just like I just I just it was I felt like it different. was Yeah, and it was dragging and it mm. just wasn't it just didn't hook me. So I'm like I mean no. to be fair, that is the problem with a lot a lot of Stephen King T V series is that because he is quite a slow writer, which is fine when you're reading, but when you're watching something you don't you have to be in the mood for a slow burn T V drama. And that's the same with most of his TV series, to be fair. So, yeah, yeah no, I can appreciate that. But yeah, you need to watch Shadow and Bone. I know, I know. I mean, for me, I'm looking. I'm. I need to watch the next season of uh, of Bridgerton. It's just come out. Yes, <laughs> I'm excited to watch that. I haven't watched that either. You haven't watched any of Bridgerton, though, have you? I don't. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't have to be your kind of thing, though. No. I mean, it's like a. It would remind you of your 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 school days, probably, because it's basically like a. Another fairy drama. I didn't mean your school days. This what? is like your, your school teaching days. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my god. god. I can't I believe you just said that to me. <laughs> that it came out so badly. Yes. I mean your yes, it did. <laughs> I'm like, when do you, th- how old, I know I said I was old, but how old do you think I am? Oh my. Oh, your school teaching days. Even oh, that, yeah. like, I, it wasn't that oh, long no. ago that I was teaching. I meant just because it's a pure drama, because you're an English teacher. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <sighs> wow. All right, Liz. I'm just going to shut up now. I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> All right, well, then let's move on. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot over this past year Uh regarding censorship and book banning and it's just it's it's almost become like this epidemic over here in the united states and and it's sadly it's beginning to trickle we've talked about how it's trickled over to the uk and they're wanting to re-release you know books and take words out that might be offensive to people uh but right now uh, we have, and Florida is one of our states uh, that is really big on censorship and banning. As a result, Pen America, Penguin Random House, and a group of about, I think it's about five to seven authors, have actually filed suit. They are bringing a lawsuit up against the Florida School Board over all of this book banning that Florida is is trying to um, get away with. And it looks like it's primarily in the Escambia schools because I found this, um, the author um, of Out of Darkness, which is one of the books that is being targeted to be removed, the author of that book, uh, this, is, this was what his quote was uh, in regards to this kind of like supporting this lawsuit. It says young readers in Enscambia schools and across the nation deserve a complete and honest education. One that provides them with full access in libraries to a wide range of literature that reflects varied viewpoints and that explores the diversity of 
of human experiences. Then he goes on to say, as a former public high school English teacher, I know firsthand how important libraries are. For many young people, if a book isn't in their school library, it might as well not exist. Yeah, I saw this um, this story actually a few days ago on, on LinkedIn, um, on the platform there, because there was a post from Penguin Random House saying that they're 100% behind Pen America. And it was also showing an image of some of the books that were banned by um, by the Florida schools over this time. And, and most of them were were story, just stories about gay relationships. Um, I think it was like some about gay marriage and some were children's books and what adults books. And it's just so sad that people think that they have a right just to go, okay, you can't read this book anymore. You, you guys can't read, you're not allowed to read this book. We're banning it. It's almost like playing God in a way, saying, mm-hmm. trying to control what you read. And it's just so sad. But what Pen America is doing is amazing. And it's about time that a big organization such as them really stood up to, to the government, to the, the authorities and said, no, this isn't good enough. You are literally taking away our, our, our freedom of speech, our sort of the, the right to speak freely and to choose what we read. And I really, yeah, we, we we definitely will be following this story and kind of seeing how how it goes. I believe it's only just recently filed mm-hmm. from what I read. Yes, just within like the so last it'll be week a little or so, while, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a while, and we'll see what happens mm. even if it even, you know, makes it to, to a trial because uh, they'll do all that, the pre, like, meetings and negotiations and yeah. seeing if they can't come up with a settlement. But I really, truly hope that Pen America and Penguin House won't take a settlement unless that settlement is the books are in yeah. the library. Oh, no, exactly. And, and this could really, this could be a massive t- turning point for American um, schools because if this is successful, imagine how many other um, states are going to do this. Yeah, and America and, won't stop at Florida. They'll con- they'll do it in every state that they can to make and the they point. Should. And they should. And that's it's it and it's it's so true what he what he said in the fact that like especially when you get into these small communities, the rural areas, like the poverty stricken areas, the school libraries and what these kids get exposed to in school sometimes is their only exposure to literature. It's their only exposure to different cultures. Uh, And Mm. then, you know, if we don't give them the ability or the access to have these things, they're eventually, you know, some of these kids are going to, you know, open their wings and fly to other, other cities, other States, other countries, and they're going to not have had any exposure to anything. And it's going to be so overwhelming. And it's just like, this is our world. Our world is diverse. Our world is beautiful and, and ugly and, and, you know, amazing and sad. And if we can't expose our kids to these things, how are we preparing them to be successful and to have the ability to overcome um, and, and adapt and assimilate? It's just, it's so hard. And, um, you know, I just, I always feel it should fall back on the parents. We don't have the the right to make choices for other families. Like, you know, I'm very lucky to work in a school district where we don't ban books. We have that's really good. All sort like we have like this year like our our librarians and librarian library staff is amazing. Like we had a whole display of Heartstopper. And like Aww. we have like we have everything. We ask our kids what kind yeah. of books do you want in our library and then we'll buy them and we'll put them in our library. And we've had such tremendous circulation of our books this year. Like 
like it, it's crazy. Like wow. we, our circulation numbers are are increasing every every year. Our kids are checking out books from our library because they're like it's there. They come with their English class. They don't have to make a special trip. And we have people there. What do you like? What are you interested in? And they check out their books. And we're not making the choice. Oh, you can't read Heartstopper, or you can't read read Out of Darkness, yeah. or you can't read Catcher in the Rye. Like you can't read these books. Um, that's a parent's decision. Our parents have access to our library, like our circulation, like our um, okay. the books in our library. So our parents yeah. know, and they can also have access to see what books their children are checking out. So it's all available for our parents to know our, their students' actions. So if their kids are checking out a book the parents don't like, then that's a conversation that takes place at home. I don't want you reading this book. But the other, you know, other parents might be like, oh, that's a great book. I enjoyed it. I hope you love it. But we don't make that choice. That's a family choice. And so I really, really good. am eager to I mean, see. That's the way, yeah, I mean, that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be that schools or even worse, the government, like the senators and and the state, it shouldn't be up to them what children read because it's not their lives. And as you say, we need to be able to encourage the children and also to show them diversity in literature as well as in real life. Otherwise, as you say, they won't be able to integrate as easily because the whole point of having all these diverse books is to help young minds realise that there are other people who may be different to you. There may be other people with different beliefs to you. But at the same point, same time, everyone is all the same and that you should treat everyone equally and you should treat everyone with, with respect and not kind of with any kind of malice. Exactly. So it's really important that these book bannings do get it, yeah, do get stopped because it's just going to harm the future generation. You know, and, it, and it's interesting that this is a story that came up this week because, you know, this episode, our focal topic um, this this month is Harry Potter. And Harry Potter is one of the top banned and censored books, like because of like witchcraft and you yeah. know the uh, my my favorite reason that people put for why they want to um, ban a book or have a book removed in like children's books is because it shows um, rebellious behavior from children. Hmm. So if kids okay. don't have the yeah. ability to read about rebellious kids, do people think that their kids aren't going to be rebellious? Like that's <laughs> kids. Yeah, kids. It's, it's the same. It's the same thought of the whole playing violent video games make you makes you violent kind of thing. It's basically in, along the same lines. Okay, so are you going to ban violent films? Are you going to ban violent um, TV series? Like there's, right. there's a line. Yeah. There is a line, and it's yeah, it's it's so stupid. And it's, it's the same. It's the same thing, like about that. Like you know, we have like our books aren't quite rated like TV shows or video games and stuff like that. But they are categorized. We do have yeah. children's books. We have young adult books. We have adult books. Yeah. They are they are categorized for age levels. Uh, but here's the thing. Like great, I think that was a great point you just made because are we gonna censor and remove? these video games, or even, like, the yeah. movies and videos. Because here's the thing. Videos, how are you going to ban a violent vi like YouTube clip? I'm sorry. Your kid <laughs> may not have a cell phone yeah. at all, but I guarantee you, your kid is watching YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, 100%. 
they have friends that are sharing it with them. They have computers yeah. at school that they're watching them on. Like, y- y- like you could try to just completely Facebook social platforms. Yeah, yeah. You, you can be overprotective as much as you want and try to control every little aspect of your child's life. But if they want to watch a video, they're going to watch a video. If they're going to, oh, yeah, you know, definitely. That's and that's why. The, and the more you hide from them, I think the more they rebel. And the reason I say that is because yeah. I have worked in education with teenagers for 22 years. I kind of understand a little bit about how teenagers are. And I've seen all different types of parents and parenting and how kids respond. And it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not telling anybody how to parent. Parent how you want to parent. But, you know, the more that you try to, like, hide things from your kids, the more they want to know why. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's the whole, it's the old thing, isn't it? If you tell tell a kid not to do something, they'll do it. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. tell a kid to not, not go out somewhere, they'll go out somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, it's about being open. Just have, yeah. It's about the honest, open conversations that parents need to be having with their children yeah. and not schools and government officials. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if you talk with your kids and you explain the whys and you have those mature conversations, then the kids will be able to make the decision of, like, hmm, maybe that's not something I want to do or maybe that's not a book I want to read or maybe I won't do drugs. But just telling your kids don't do something without having that conversation, they're never going to know why. And so if the government is just like, we're going to pull these books and never give anybody an option, the kids are going to be like, why? And then it's just. No, exactly. So speaking of libraries, yes. uh, that takes us nicely on to our next little uh, piece of book news. So we've recently had um, the little little free libraries. Now, for the non-American people um, listening, it's not really so common in the UK, but what they are um, are like little cabinets. So they can be all sorts of different things, but they are often on streets in like in public areas where people can go and switch swap books over they can pick up a free book they can put put books there so the whole point is that it is like a little i guess almost like a little outside library um like a little kind of public library but not within a public building as such um but uh, they've recently had uh, their little free library outstanding achievement awards um which is quite interesting so they've announced uh, the winners of the fifth annual Todd H. Bull Awards for Outstanding Achievements, um, of which all of whom embody LFL's mission to build community, inspire readers, and expand book access for all. Um, and this is what the, the organization for the Little Free Library said. Um, so the, um, there are quite a few uh, different ones. There, there were ones like the Dynamite Book Club of Santa Ana in California, which was created by students. Um, there was one, Valerie Jan- Jan- uh, Janis of the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. So I think it's really nice that this kind of, I don't know how, how when it started, um, because it started quite a few years ago, didn't it, the whole Little Free Library movement? It looks like the first one was, and they referred oh, to wait, as, 2009. Yeah, book yeah. sharing boxes in 2009 in Hudson, Wisconsin is where it started. So... So, I mean, yeah, it's been going now for quite some time. Um, I just think it's really nice that it's grown to such a level. And it's definitely something that I'd love to see kind of grow more um, here in the UK. We, I was saying to Holly, we've got a few kind of scattered around, mostly in the bigger cities, um, but it's not as big of a um, as big of a thing over here. 
Um, and for them to have actual outstanding achievement awards for people who have really kind of taken the time, taken the effort to kind of grow their own little food library and to really kind of, I guess, help to grow the community and help to kind of provide smaller communities with this access to books, which they may not otherwise have, mm-hmm. um, especially I'm guessing out in kind of the sticks, out in the rural, more rural areas. Uh, it's just such a kind of it's a nice little kind of ray of sunshine. <laughs> exactly, and you know we're just talking about like schools. Like if a book isn't in a school library, kids may not have access to the books. Yeah. So like these little free libraries that pop up. I mean, wh- how I view them is whenever I see one, I just I they make me think of like really big like birdhouses. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the best way I can use to describe them. Um, but they are, they're just like these little book boxes. I'm sure a lot of people have seen them and it is a good way. Like this, the one that you said, there were six, six award winners. And the second one you talked about the Valerie Jonas of Pine Ridge reservation in, in South Dakota, I think is really cool because that is, it's, it's promoting literacy on the reservation. And that's, really really cool to be able to give even a more diverse opportunity to act of access to books to to those people not only students but you know i think we focus on kind of kids but these little free libraries they're for adults too it's like all types of books it's fun sometimes on um on instagram to see like authors kind of walking around and showing them taking pictures as they're putting copies of their own book and little free yeah, libraries. I them yeah, I just think that's such a sweet idea. So cute, and I know for us, I was Liz. I was telling you um, before we started recording that I have one in my neighborhood. It's kind of out of the way um, than I would normally ever go, but it's about four four streets over, and they just they have one in their front yard. Uh, just it's like right on the corner of their property. So as you're walking across the mm-hmm. sidewalk, it's it's just it's right there which is pretty cool. And then a couple years ago, the students at the high school I work at, they got together and, and they got a little free library and they have it all registered. And we have this little grassy um, like roundabout in our parking lot. It's right there in the middle of uh, that area. So it's open and available to the community all time. So it's just, it is, like you said, it's just a really cool, nice thing. And uh, one of the award winners is from Canada. So that's kind of cool. So hopefully um, this, this idea of little free libraries will be, will continue to grow and, 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 you know, find its way over, over the ocean. So it becomes a little bit more prevalent where you are. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. Fingers crossed. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know how long it came over here, but it looks like it is kind of slowly growing. So it'd be interesting to see the progression for it. Um, one other thing I did also want to say before we go to our, our first break is that there's one other bookish news that came in I read about yesterday, um, which was actually going back to Pan America. Um, so they recently had their annual gala um, in New York and uh, they had a special guest attendance, a surprise guest, Salman Rushdie. I just saw that. Yes. Yeah. So his first public appearance since the stabbing and he made a really emotional kind of speech whilst he accepted a special prize. Mm-hmm. So that was it's so sweet that it's, it's really good to see him up and about and kind of to see him out in public after that awful event. Um, yeah. Obviously, he lost like his, his eyesight in one of his eyes. Mm-hmm. So he's got like his glasses with one of the um, one black lens in it so that mm-hmm. obviously that's covered up. 
Yeah. But yeah, that I thought that was really good and that I thought that had to be mentioned. So Absolutely. he got the pen he got the Penn Centenary Courage Award. Aww. Which is kind of, yeah. That's awesome. I mean it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that is. And I'm glad that he's you know, able now to, to, to be recovered enough where he can make public yeah. appearances and, you know, get to a point where he can kind of talk a little bit about his experience. And, um, yeah, cause that was such a scary <sighs> thing that happened. I thought we, we almost lost him. We mm-hmm. were like, he was in a, I think, wasn't he in a coma for a few days? I think, um, I think it was in a, like in a medic, a medically yeah. induced one while he recovered. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was so, a brutal, yeah. brutal attack on him. So, all right. Well, I'm glad he's doing better. I'm glad he's recovered enough to make those and and kudos to Pen America for honoring him with the the Courage Award. So, all right. Well, on that more positive note, we're going to take our (laughs) first break and then we will be back to talk a little bit about some upcoming books and what we've been reading. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. So, Liz, why don't you kick it off and tell us about um, a book that um, has kind of piqued your interest that you just read or reading? Yeah. So, uh, well, at the moment, I've just, uh, about a few days ago, I started The Beast That Is A Quarter Silver Flames, which is about 780 pages. So, uh, it might be a little, well, I am already on 200 page 240 or something. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, it's good. It's really interesting, but that's not the one I was going to talk about. Because I haven't finished it yet. The last book I read, actually, before that was Legendborn. Uh, Now, this one has been on my list for for quite some time now. I bought it probably about six months ago. And um, I actually got inspired. Two reasons why I got inspired to read it it this month is, firstly, because Steph, um, who is on our book club episodes, she recently read it um, while she was recovering from her abrasion. And she said it was really good. Um, and also, I am currently doing a, a like a fantasy readathon um, through this group that I joined, and I haven't mentioned Holly for some random reason. <laughs> um, it is, I'm insulted. Um, <laughs> I just I so much going on that. Um, but yeah, it's a no excuses. Five realms readathon, um, and I am part of the the team mass, as in Sarah J Mass. Uh, and yeah, so I've read this one. There's different prompts you have to do uh, for points. Uh, Legendborn for one, and um, this is for a, another prompt. So, and also I read um, Only a Monster, which is a very late book. But yeah, so Legendborn, it is broken to you, of course. Okay, um, can we go? What is this? What is this group first before you get into Legendborn? <laughs> it is. Uh, wait, my phone's just gone missing somewhere. So it's like a fantasy group. You have different teams. Um, I there's love like a that. Sarah J. Mass one. There's a Brandon Sanderson one. Um, there's who else is there? There's so do you like only get writers. to read books by those authors? No, it just means that that's your your team for oh, when they team. take part. Just like in the like team events. name. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and they do like buddy reads each month of different fantasy books, and they do have like meetups, for example. So they're doing their first big event. Um, which is in the Isle of Wight, which is just off the coast of, of the UK. And they've got um, they've got some big names that are going to be coming. They've got the writer of, uh, they've got Samantha Shannon, the one who wrote, uh, what's, it, what's it called? Uh, oh, the Priory, the Priory of the Orange Tree, the one that I mentioned yeah. last year. So that she's going to be there. Um, 
right now. I can't remember who else, but yeah, it's a, I don't know where my phone's gone. So I could have told you the name of the group. Um, but it's a really interesting, um, fantasy group. They've got so much going on. They've always got events and author play, um, like author interviews, buddy reads. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and the readathon is called the realm or oh, I'm going to complete myself now. The battle of the five realms. Okay, well, I will be expecting a message in my DMs later today with <laughs> the name of this because you now need to redeem yourself because I'm not happy with you. Fantasy Fellowship. There we go. Okay, Fantasy Fellowship. Yeah, so they are on Instagram, but um, they're also on Discord, and that's where I've, I've joined them through Discord. Oh, I don't have Discord. You can do it on Instagram, though. They okay. have a lot going on on Instagram. Cool. Okay, Thanks. back to Legendborn. Um, <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to derail everybody, but but just I just knew, just so we can keep a running record. She called me old at the very beginning of the show, and now she's hiding things from me. I just want the world to know this. Okay, back to you, Liz. Tell us about Legendborn. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay, um, Legendborn. So it is the the first in the series. Um, the second one is out. I've heard it's not as good, but um, it is uh, like an Arthurian King Arthur um, retelling as such. It's a bit loose, kind of a loose description of it. But it's about this girl who um, she loses her mother. Her mother dies when she's quite, quite youngish um, in her teenage years. And it's all about kind of her living through her grief and kind of the pain she suffers. But... Um, she discovers this secret society, um, which is on the campus of her university she goes to. And it turns out that the secret society is, they are all descendants of King Arthur and his knights. And so it's all about her trying to find out the truth behind her mother's death and finding out more about these kind of, what they call legendborn, who are demon hunters, um, and it was a really interesting book. I, I found it actually really good. So they had like, they've got different classes for each of the the members who are there. They have like, they have your mages, you have your Merlins, you have your, um, the pages are kind of like the, the lower level where you start off at. Um, but it's all about this kind of interesting lore of magic. Um, it's more about, it's like blood craft, blood, uh, blood magic. And yeah, I just found it. I, it was really interesting read. It was a really fascinating read, and it was fun. It was pretty kind of easy going. Um, got through it pretty quickly, and yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I'm a little bit skeptical about reading the second one just because, from everyone I've spoken to, a lot of people said the same thing, which is didn't really need a sequel. But yes, and that was I really liked the fact that we had the whole King Arthur angle. Because I've not really read any books that had King Arthur or or reference to King Arthur and, and his knights. So that was really interesting. Although the fact that King Arthur and his knights, supposedly all of them, travelled from England to America to then live there was a little bit sort of not quite sure about that. I think that was just a little bit, um, that's a term for it, but just a bit too convenient there. Hmm. 
I'm excited to read it. I love I love the yeah. the era of uh, King Arthur and all that. Oh, definitely. So I uh, I do I do have it on my TBR list. So we'll we'll see. I also have like you know seventy two thousand other books on my TBR <laughs> list. So you know whatever. Okay. But yeah, no, that was that was a really good book. Good. And and then like you liked it and stuff liked it, and so I know it'll mm. be good. All right. <laughs> my choice is a book that, <laughs> that it, it's it's still mm. stuck with me and you know a lot of times you're like oh the book just lives in my head and it's just so good and I just book hangover well this is this wasn't a bad book and I do need to preface that with it was not a bad book it was written well the language was well the description descriptive writing and the imagery was was fantastic like the world building was excellent um i i i did enjoy the characters like i enjoyed the plot like you would think that i'm giving this like you know this is like the best book of the year there was just like one tiny little piece of the book that i just really struggled with um, but but I want everyone to know, like, I think this author is a talented author. I respect the writing. Again, I could go on about it all. Like, my review is up. My review is posted. But I am talking about a book called I Married a Naga by Regine Abel. And apparently there's this the whole like a whole series of of these books and this is technically book two of the series but it's the one that i read because it was it was recommended to me by a friend on on instagram as part of the 12 books and 12 months by 12 friends challenge that we we've been doing now for a couple years and what i love about that challenge is it exposes you to all sorts of books that you would never (laughs) have normally read and this is a true case and point i would never have picked this book up otherwise but again i i'm not upset that i read it i finished it it was an easy quick read but um i know liz is just dying passing around it you know around the issue just just, just come out with just it. Just rip the band-aid <laughs> off. All right. So basically, a, uh, um, so you have this girl, uh, Serena. She is like, it's it's a, kind of a sci-fi book. So she she's, you know, a human. And she does, she's a hunter. And what they do is they go into like these off-world hunts. And they're almost like tournaments, some of these hunts, where they go to off-planets, like sites so other planets other places and they do these hunts and a lot of times the hunts support the the planets they're going to because it's a way of like if certain creatures are overpopulated then they have these hunts and it helps the population of these creatures and animals um that you know need some support in decreasing the population and there's prizes and all these things. So so Serena is one of these top hunters. And so this new, very prestigious hunt has come about on this planet. And so she goes and she – it's very strict because they, the people on the planet, these inhabitants, they do not like off-worlders. And so there's very clear expectations and parameters. Like you can't cross this in, invisible line. And like the scientific – technology that they have will let, like it'll beep as they're getting too close to this borderline and everything and so if you cross this invisible line into their 
like off limits, you're going to be executed. They'll kill you. And so she's hunting. She's kind of near the border. <laughs> Liz, why'd you do that to me? Liz just kind of posted this horrible picture in the chat. Um, it's, uh, ugh, ugh. It, was, it was based on the book. It's the right. Well, it's perfect. So anyways, so she's hunting these creatures as she's there to hunt. She's really close to the border. And as she is looking, she sees the, the, the inhabitants of this planet, like women and some children, and they're kind of like collecting fruit or whatever. But these creatures that she's hunting actually go and they are going to attack these women and children who don't have weapons with them, they're they're unprotected and pretty much they're going to be killed. So she violates the rules and she crosses into the, like, over the border and kills the beasts and saves the people. But she violated the rules and now she's up for execution. So she's taken back to the, like, the main town, village, whatever, and basically is given an ultimatum. And their like their headhunter has kind of agreed to it and so basically she can either marry their prime hunter guy or be executed so out of self-preservation she's like okay she found this guy kind of intriguing and was like drawn to him or whatever and so she agrees to marry him he's a snake man He's a snake. He's literally a snake. He's like a centaur with a human like from the like the abdomen, like the belly button up and a snake from the belly button down. It, it, <laughs> he's a snake and he and and like he's a snake and I just I just really really struggle because this is a romance. Like this is a steamy steamy romance and and it's so it just like some of the scenes i just like i'm all like whatever whoever you love love is love is love is love is love i'm fine with that i speciality is a kind of different level isn't it (laughs) yeah it's like inner species like you know and i don't want to like they change like anatomy was a little altered and and very descriptive anatomy <laughs> and and how it all worked was very descriptive and i'm just like but he's a snake <laughs> he's a snake she's I'm a so human but but like i said the world the world is is beautifully described like it's a beautiful world and um the the snake man i can't remember what his name is zaro i loved him as a character like he the characters were developed well i thought he was a great character he had like i really liked him i just couldn't get past the fact that he's a snake and he even molted. Right. He molted in the book, like it very descriptively. You know how they think. Like, you know they molt. They shed their skin. And so, like, and the, describing the bathrooms, and I'm like, ooh. Well, you know, she violated the rules, so he had to violate her. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But like I said, it was a, it was I gave it a four star. I gave it four stars. Like it's it's it was a good book. I just couldn't get it past. Was that an honest four stars though? Because every time I read the the uh, your your review on Instagram, and the amount of times you said, "I don't not like this book." Like I don't not not like this. Book. <laughs> I'm thinking you're skirting around so much. I feel bad. I feel. I just feel bad because I don't like ever saying negative like negative things. And and I get that I have that ability. And at books, you know, people like different things, and it's okay. Not every book is for everybody. But so while I didn't connect well with the fact that he, that Zara was a snake and. Does it, it? I still there were still aspects of the book I really did like, and I really do respect as an as as her as an author, um, and and that's why I made sure that it's like even though I'm saying something that is a little negative about the book, the author, her talent, like the character development, the world building, like what happened was well done. It was it it was wonderful. Like, and if he had not been a snake. I think the I would be like, oh my gosh, you guys, this is a really good book. But it's just like, and now I'm like, I don't know if I'm like super intrigued or super traumatized. But like I said, this is a series of books. Each book, yeah, I just each one is a different animal. Yeah, like one is a like a like a mer person, like a merman, and like a lizard person, and so it's like each birdman. And a bird man. So, like, every little, every book is about a different species. But I, part of me is like, I kind of want to read another one. <laughs> Just, I know, oh but God. I'm like, but I don't. I, I don't want to read another one. Are you sure? But I kind of. There's a mindful, there's a dragon. Oh, see, the dragon might be cool. <laughs> I like yeah, dragons. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure dragon, the dragon would be well hung because dragons are beasts. Right? But I'm like, he would probably crush her. Like, if she's just a human and he's a dragon, like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it's kind of adds to the whole somebody being hot. Like flaming hot? <laughs> like flaming hot, yeah. <laughs> but it's the same thing with like... They're on fire. Yeah, the same thing with like the mer person. Like, how does that work if like if if she's if the girl's a human, he's a mer person. She doesn't have like she's a person. She's a human. She doesn't have gills. How is she supposed to breathe underwater? And I'll say, how does a mer person do stuff? We've never how heard about does it. a I mean, snake do phallus. stuff? But they did. The Naga had a phallus. The the the. The Naga has a very unique man part. That <laughs> is so awkward you're getting at this. I know. I just like. Is it is it in the normal location or is it like? It on is. A tail? It is in a normal location. It is. It is hidden behind a. I don't know. This is really funny. This is how I perceived it. Like a little sliding door. <laughs> Like I don't want to give any more spoilers about it because honestly, yes, he 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 has he has a nice little you know whatever, and it's 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 hidden behind I know it's hidden behind this little sliding door. Like she literally got up and walked away. Um, she, 
oh, this the sunlight. Um, but it it is modified a little bit from a, a, a normal male body part. That did not help at all, Liz, just so you know. Do you know what? I'm just going to do that. I'm going to move this. It's just because of the light. Yeah. kind of works. It's the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the book I want to talk about because it was just like I – like I said, it was a quick read, but I think part of that was like, what am I reading? What am I reading? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, that was good. All right. So, on that note, let's talk a little bit about um, the top five books right now with New York Times. Hey, so remember, Liz, like last week I messaged you about amazing Colleen Hoover news when it came to the... Oh, that was like just amazing. I couldn't believe it. It's been, what, it's taken two, well, almost two years for it to happen. Yeah, but last week, Colleen Hoover was out of the top five. Don't worry, everybody. If you're a Colleen Hoover fan, rest assured, she is back this week with the number two slot. Um, So what we have right now is we do have Happy Place by Emily Henry in the number one slot, um, which is kind of cool. I know that's uh, in two weeks. We're going to be back with our June episode of Speaking Literally, and it will be our book club. I know. (laughs) Two two weeks. Sorry, people. You raised it for two weeks. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, is it two or three weeks? It's two weeks. It, it is two weeks. weeks. Um, normally, we give people much more time to kind of like recover from our shows before we give them another one, but not this time. But uh, so, Happy Place is our book. So you have two weeks to read Happy Place, so you can listen to the episode without getting upset by all the spoilers. Number two is Colleen Hoover. It ends with us. She is back, people. Uh, number three is Tom Hanks' new book that he wrote that Ooh. came out. Yeah, so it's, he's kind of an interesting guy. So I'm not big on nonfiction, but his memoir might be one that I might pick up. Um, number four is Fourth Wind. I believe that's a brand new, like, fantasy book that just came out. I wasn't... Oh, I've been hearing good things about this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all over Instagram right now, and mm-hmm. people are loving it. Yeah. I, so... Like, literally loving it. So I feel like we need to get it at some point soon. Exactly. So that that kind of um, I'm like, hmm, I need to look into that book. Yeah, and rounding okay. out the top five is a book we've already kind of talked about, but Lessons in Chemistry. Um, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's been it's been holding its own right around that that number five slot. So, all right. So that's the New York Times bestseller list top five for right now. So Liz, <laughs> tell us a little bit about some books that are coming out. Okay. So this was wasn't the easiest task considering it's. These are all coming out within the next two weeks, <laughs> so before our next show. But uh, first of all, we have one that is actually already out on the in the US, um, but it's due to come out on the 25th of May, and that is Yellow Face by R.F. Kwan. Then on the 1st of June, we have The Silent Bride by Shalini Baland, and that's both for the US and the UK. Uh, then we have The Celebrants by Stephen Rowley, and that's in the US. It comes out on May 30th. And the 28th of June for the UK. So a bit of a, a gap there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, we have The Wishing Game by Meg Schaffer or Schaefer, uh, probably Schaefer. Um, and that's coming out on the 30th of May, both in the US and the UK. So those are our new and upcoming releases for the next two weeks. 
Yeah, because after that we'll we'll have, uh, <laughs> we'll have another show. <laughs> we'll have another show, so we'll have some time. Um, yeah, so lots of good books coming out, um, and then I'm super excited because Liz, we're about to go on a break, and then when we come back, you know what time it is. It's Harry Potter time. It is Harry Potter time. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Okay, you can't tell me that when you hear that, you don't just get, like, little goosebumps and, like, little so chills. Oh. So many chills. I mean, every time I hear that, wherever I am, it, you just stop and you're like, oh, my God. Harry Potter, where, where? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, sorry. We are talking everything and all things Harry Potter. Also, did you know that it's now on Netflix? Every single Harry Potter film is now on Netflix. As oh, of is it? Oh. Yeah. I, I think it might be time for a Harry Potter marathon. <laughs> I usually have one every Christmas time, but I feel like I need to do one early. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're about to go on summer yeah, vacation I... from school, so um, I may have exactly, a little bit more time. Of time. I know. I'll have to shut in bone. You can watch Harry Potter. See, if I watch Shadowbone <laughs> first, I can watch all the Harry Potter movies and then be ready to go for lessons in chemistry um, in the fall. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I love my Harry Potter marathons. They exactly. are like, they're amazing. But yeah, so Harry Potter has so, been with us for, for many, many, many a year now. Many years. Um, according to the wonderful world of Wikipedia, uh, Philosopher's Stone was uh, published in 1997. Wow. That's about right. So, yeah. Because I didn't, find, I didn't find Harry Potter until 20 or 2000 and... Probably 2001, 2002. Really? Uh, yeah, I didn't. Okay. It, it was right when book four was getting ready to be released in hardback is when I picked it up. Oh, wow. Yeah. When did you? See, I, yeah, I, I didn't find it straight away. Um, I think I found it about 98, 99. I remember that the first two books were out. Um, obviously, it is a British series, so it yeah. was more popular in this country, first of all. And yeah, I think I think the second one was out. It was only just recently out, so it must have been about ninety-eight. Uh, and I remember reading the first one. I got it from the library, from school library. Um, so I must have been about ten. And yeah, I just remember absolutely loving it, like absolutely falling in love with with the book and needing to read the the next one as soon as I could. <laughs> and then after that, every single one that came out, I had to get it on the day it was released. And it was the whole typical thing of. You get home from school, you get it, and then you start reading it straight away. <laughs> oh yeah! Um, and I remember, I remember doing that, um, especially for *Goblet of Fire*, because um, that was such a big book, um, and it was *Order of Phoenix* as well, because they were like beasts of books. Do you remember mm-hmm. how thick they were? Yeah. But I, I think I came out on like Saturday, one of the one of the years, and I went down to the shop, got it, got home straight away, started reading it, um, and just didn't want to stop. It was, yeah, it, it became a pretty big obsession. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's been with me every ever since. You know, and it's funny because it's like I, I'm older than you, um, so I wasn't 10 <laughs> when uh, when those were coming out. Um, I was actually in my – so the year that it kind of came across, across me when I found it, I, I was in my very first year of teaching. And so – I was teaching at a, a 
kind of a, an inner city, high poverty middle school. And I needed something to connect to my kids. Like they were just, they had too many outside distractions. Um, I had high absenteeism. Education just wasn't their, their priority based on what was happening in their lives outside of the school walls. So I tried my hardest to figure out something, something that we could read that might hook them. That would give me, that was, that was kind of creative enough in its scope that I would have the ability to create cool activities and cool projects and cool discussions around. And that's when I started kind of hearing a little bit about Harry Potter, because again, like book, the, the first movie was coming out. Um, and so the, the release of the first Harry Potter movie came out right around the time that the fourth book was coming out. So it's kind of when I, when I found out, cause I'm like, this is perfect. We can read Harry Potter and in the United States it's the Sorcerer's Stone. So yes, it is called that. Strong. It's strong. <laughs> <laughs> so you American the weird. <laughs> I don't know why it needed to be chained. Like it, I, I don't understand the difference, but whatever. <sighs> so, so I went out and I purchased thirty copies of the first Harry Potter book, so that every kid in my class could have a copy of it as we read it in class Aww. and as we worked. Um, so I bought thirty copies of the book. We read it as a class, and we ended with I took them to the movies. And we went and we saw the movie when it was released. That was kind of like culminating our our, our activity. And these kids who probably a lot of them had never even finished the book before, even enjoyed reading, they were engaged in this book from beginning to end. We had great conversations, great projects, great everything. And then taking Mm -hmm. these kids to the movies and watching them eat their popcorn and drink their soda and like you know the the music the theme song plays and they're all like super excited and then listening to them on the bus on the way back to school afterwards just sitting there was like just filled my teacher heart because they're they're arguing about why the book was better and the changes that were made and their opinions of the, of the, the people that they got to play the different roles. And that's not how I pictured Hermione. And that's not how I thought this. And they, they, and it was just, it was just so amazing. And so I, I, because I like read the book with students and we like analyzed the hell out of it and talked and Mm -hmm. everything. It's like, at that point I'm like, well, now I'm like, this is part of my life. I've got to finish <laughs> because it's like I've, I, I spent two yeah. months reading and analyzing this book with a bunch of, you know, 13 and 14 year olds. I'm like, I got to I got I'm invested now. So, yeah. So that's kind of how I I kind of stumbled upon it. But mm-hmm. it's it was kind of. I don't know. It was it's, it's it was cool. And then by the time, like you said, like the when the books came out, like book seven, I went to the midnight release um, at a local Barnes and Noble because they, yeah, they did a midnight release. And so when you got there, they gave you like, you you know, you could enter into drawings for different things. Like you could be entered for the drawing to to actually purchase the first book um, and like different little prizes and everything. And then they gave you like, you know, your little tickets or whatever. So I got there and I just found my little corner of the bookstore and just sat down and was, you know, just reading and stuff until, you know, there was a ton of people there. I'm like, I'm going to be here until like, you know, three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) 
But I won the drawing to buy the first nice. copy of the book at midnight. So, oh yeah, so that was really kind of fun because, Aww. like, at like 11.55, they made me come to, like, the front of the line. So I was ready to go because right at midnight, they got the book and sold it to me. And it was really funny because then, like, everybody wanted, like, show me the cover, show me the cover, show. Like, so I had to, like, sh- like once I bought Aww. it, I had to show everybody the cover. And, um. But it was really cool because my husband had bought, had, um, had got me a hotel room that night so that I could go from purchasing the book to a hotel so I could start reading it and, and just be uninterrupted to be able to read it. Cause I, for what I, yeah. So it was really cool. So. It was so funny. I remember like throughout, so Harry Potter was like a massive theme of my secondary school years. And the amount of conversations I'd have with my friends about it. And, like, you try and find out every little detail you could about the future books, about the future films. And I remember that from, oh, God, it must be, it was very early on. It must have been, we're talking maybe the fifth book. We were told that the very last word of the very last book would be always. And you're like, hmm, what what, what could that be? What could that mean? What could that mean? And, oh, I just remember, like, I remember finishing Deathly Hallows and reading that last word always. And it was just like, it's all over. It's it's it's, it's done. I know. <laughs> just no. It was, oh, I remember crying. And obviously it wasn't the first time I cried in that book series. There was many a time. But that was just like, it was emotional. It was. Because, as I say, it was my childhood. It was, yeah. it took me through from being in secondary to the last book came out um the summer before I started university so it was my my teenage years (laughs) it was my whole teenage years and it was just an amazing journey and then for it to suddenly finish I mean at least we had some of the films still due to come out we were only I think we were about film four or film five maybe by then I don't remember the order yeah because it was this here the part two of Deathly Hallows came out in July 2011 so we were probably I think and yeah it was film a year wasn't it one film a year yeah one a year um it came I think most of them came out around Christmas time if I remember Mm -hmm. rightly didn't they yep they did (laughs) you know and it's just it's just so funny because you're like you know it was such a long series and then you have Mm. the movies which extended it it became such an integral part of so many kids like you said like so many kids grew up with those characters and it just became such a powerful entity in 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 the life of people and if you think about it um i had this conversation with with stephanie too and harry potter was one of those first books series that really bridged the gap between that child young adult book to adult Mm -hmm. books and it because this was really one of those first series where adults were like swarming to get this book and 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 it just it kind of changed the perception of those more childish you know young adult books because what have we like we've seen such a huge growth in that genre of books since then like you know you had harry potter and then you had twilight and you know which twilight was okay but nowhere near 
whatever. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, many, I mean, but yeah. it's the same thing. It's just like, it just yeah. bridged this gap that now it's like, we have so many adults now, like you and I, we love young adult books. And part yeah, of that, definitely. I truly believe stems from how the perception of Harry Potter was in bridging that, that, that gap or that, oh, yeah, you know, acceptance. 100%. And I don't think that we're ever going to see a, um, a series, a fantasy series that is as popular or as big as this was. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. No, I because agree. This is basically the, the this is the book version of Beatles Mania back in the sixties. <laughs> yes. But whereas that that has kind of died now, still twenty five years on, is still everyone loves Harry Potter. It's still being adapted, still being recreated. So there is still that massive, massive fan base out there, and it's going to continue because people like us will show our kids and then our kids will show their kids because it will always be a big part of our lives. Yeah. My kids love Harry Potter. Like, you know, um, I, you know, we've, I've, I've shared this with you and I probably shared it on the show, but like I spent three years reading out loud all seven books to my kids as their bedtime story. And like we would read it. I really loved that. That's one thing I'm looking forward to. That I really want to be able to do that because is being able to share that magic with with your kids and with the next next generation. And they loved it. They were really so gross. And we would watch the movies between, like, w- typically what I do, I'd get halfway through the book, and then we'd watch the first half of the movie up until that point. Oh, really? And then we'd continue oh, reading, okay. and then we'd watch the movie from the beginning to the end. So they got, you know, um, just yeah. to break it up, because, you know, my kids were little when I was doing this, so it yeah. was sometimes hard to get longer than, like, maybe 20 or 30 minutes of reading in for them before they're like, yeah. My attention span, my, my six-year-old attention span is done. But my kids <laughs> my kids are now teenagers, and they still love Harry Potter. Like, they want to go to Universal Studios and go to Hogwarts, and they, they <sighs> just they just love – they love it. And they um, – yeah, it's so – it's 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 ingrained in them. And it's just like it's, it's such a, a, like, essential yeah. – almost essential piece of, the, like – culture now like oh yeah no big time and I mean I think that's one thing that I can be kind of glad I'm living in the UK for is that because obviously it was a UK author we have so much more Harry Potter over here we have the the Warner Brothers studio tour which I still have yet today but I really want to um we have the the play we have the play on um in London on in London Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and we have so many other little things um because obviously a lot of the filming was done in this um, in this country as well for Harry Potter, um, for the films. And it's like, I went to um, this shop called Mina Lima in London and they are the book publishers, but um, they do some gorgeous versions. You will see, if you've ever seen Mina Lima um, illustrated edition of Harry Potter, oh, absolutely stunning. I think you might have it actually, haven't you? I've got a feeling you have the Mina Lima one. Is that, yeah, I, I think no. that's Mina. Is that it? Uh, actually, is it? it's it's no. it's illustrated by Jim K. No, it's is if you Google Mina Lima, um, you'll see it's absolutely stunning. It has like little pull-out bits, and it's oh, like no. it's a whole kind of beautiful thing. But anyway, I went to the shop for it because what I didn't know as well is they actually did a lot of the props for the films. So they actually produced a oh, lot of props. Things like I have this one. Hogwarts this Leather. one is. 
My uh, this is Mina Lima. The um, I have the case of beasts. Explore the film wizardry of fantastic beasts and where to find them. So I yes. Yeah, so this this illustrated version is a Mina Lima. Um, oh, and it's yeah, it's it has like me. all like the little yeah, all the little pull out bits. Yeah. There. Um, but yeah, so they I didn't know that until we went there. I actually went there with um, with um one of the boosterers, Alex. Um, he's a friend of mine. And um, we went there, and yeah, so they did things like the Hogwarts letters. They did that, and they did all sorts of like little props for the films. Um, but yeah, I mean, all over England, we've got those kind of little sort of bits and bobs and little knickknacks um, from the films, so cool. which is, is so nice. Yeah. Oh, it's so and, fun. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So um. So let's talk about the books then. The books themselves. So. Obviously, you read them in order, one through one through seven. So this is always my favorite thing to do. Um, I want to rank them. I want I want to rank them. Oof. Okay. Okay. So thinking of all seven, I know. Do you want to start with your favorite and go down? Oh, even with the favorite, it's really hard. Okay. Um, do you know what for? Um, if I had to go on most nostalgic for me that stands out as reading uh, when I read it, it would be The Goblet of Fire. That's the one that for some reason really stands out the most. And I remember kind of the day I bought it, I remember bringing it home, reading it and being absolutely engrossed with it. What was um, it about it? That, in, that like, what was it about The Goblet of Fire? I don't know. I mean, I loved the, the tournament was great. The Triwizard Tournament. That was just such a, a fun little addition. And that one... Also, I think that was after, obviously, we had the Prison of Azkaban, but this one was when the emotion really started setting in. Like, it really started getting pretty deep um, and covering quite serious subjects. I mean, before, we had, like, a few... We obviously learned about Harry Potter's um, parents' death and things like that, but it didn't really go into depth on any particular event, whereas in The Goblet of Fire, we actually witnessed firsthand death. We watched Cedric Diggory, mm-hmm. which was just oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. It was our first. I think that was our first loss, wasn't it? Our first mm-hmm. character loss. Yeah. And oh, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> it was hard <laughs> <to think. laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean that one from nostalgic value. That one has always stood out as being kind of the one that I remember the most. Um, when it comes to to first time reading it, um, so I'm gonna say that one. I'll say that one as number one. Okay. Okay, I'll one. You have a good reason. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, that would be it, clear. What would be one. your favorite one? My favorite is Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've actually good. spent a lot of time ranking my books, so I I know my rankings. <laughs> you already know these things. <laughs> You spent a lot of time ranking these books. You just sound like complete. Nerd. I know. <laughs> um, no, so uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite, and um, because for for similar reasons, I think it sets the stage for everything that happens in book four. Because by mm-hmm. the time he's in book four, he, you know, he's he's fourteen. He's a little older. He kind of has a little bit more understanding of what the world is. And in book three, it it's it sets him up a little bit more 
to be able to handle what happens in book four. Because with book three, with Prisoner of Ask Man, mm-hmm. is where we get to where, where we meet Sirius Black, and Sirius is one of my favorite characters in the entire series, and I awesome. I just absolutely love him and i and i'm fascinated with the black family and just you know the fact that sirius and bellatrix bellatrix come from the same gene pool um crazy (laughs) it, it just fascinates me and so i just think that sirius even though he's only in harry's life for a short period of time um because he spent all of his life well all of his wizarding life thinking that Sirius had betrayed his parents and that was the reason that yeah. they were dead like he he lived his life hating him he had such a small time in which to to really know him and have family like he didn't have family like I mean he had the Dursleys but meh, that's not really like loving accepting family no, so Sirius was the first person and he didn't even really have that because Sirius was still in hiding but it's series was there for such a short blink of an eye of the series that it just it it showed it showed harry love it showed harry the possibility of family it showed harry a little bit about what what sacrifice is and i think those are all elements he had to experience earlier on Mm -hmm. so that when the events of book four through seven begin to occur and things begin to spiral he has a stronger emotional base to see what his support system truly is because it's it's through really book three and book four and a little bit into book five where his found family really solidifies him like in in, in where he fits and who he is and gives him kind of some of that the courage and the, the the knowledge that he needs to be able to make the decisions he makes when he's hitting book six and seven so book three it is book for me. three was scary it was like the way that the, that she described the death eaters mm-hmm. yeah it was terrifying yeah it Absolutely was terrifying i remember being like that was so scary yeah that was when we really started to experience like a bit of true darkness mm-hmm. in the harry potter world yeah because before that it was just really just I really feel the first two books were really all about world building and yeah setting the scene yeah and building the characters because the character development throughout you know really was magical and you know because you know that every book is basically a year so the kids start as 11 and they end the, the series at 17 so really like you said pretty much the years you read the books you you yeah, you grew crazy. up with them you were the same age as the characters in these stories like well, that's the same age as, as most of the actors so. <laughs> yeah exactly and and so like you know but i but i think that the character development almost came true to how kids develop like you know Mm -hmm. from 11 to 17 kids change a lot they go through some different periods of development and and attitudes and you do see some of that you see the characters grow and and go through some kind of rebellious stages and some attitudes and things like that and and i i really i appreciated the character development and i think you really got to begin to see the first signs of that Mm -hmm. character development and growth in book three um because when they were 11 and 12 they're just trying to figure out who am i and where am i and like what and then by book three 
Hogwarts is a little bit more in, embedded into their life. They kind of understand magic a little bit more and who they are a little bit more, and then they're able to build off of that. So that's kind of why book three, because I feel it's a, it's really the turning point to really start pushing the series. Yeah. All right, what would your second choice be? See, you've got all of yours organized. I wasn't organized. <laughs> I, uh... Do you know, I, yeah, I would actually have to say number three. Number three would be my second because very similar reasons to what you said. And also because, yeah, that was when the, the darkness really kind of started to begin. You started to think, oh, shit, this isn't just a fun kind of <laughs> fun fantasy world. This is going to get like stuff's going to get serious now. Yeah. Um, and the way that they described Azkaban and the whole, yeah, the Death Eaters were just, it was terrifying. The, like, I was, I don't know how I wonder came out. It came out in 99, so I was, like, 11. So I probably would, I probably read it when I was about 12, but it was still pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, stealing your soul, no, thank you. <laughs> Um, and you know, and that's a, that's an interesting point because like you read it when you were their age, so you read it as a kid. I read it as, yeah. as a young adult, so like I perceived it a little bit differently than you perceived it because yeah. yes, it was dark, but it's just like oh my god, this is kind of cool. But you know, as a twelve-year-old reading about sucking the soul out of somebody, you're just like, you know, it, it's an yeah, it, that's it interesting. Was very dark. It was very dark, but it was yeah, it was really gripping. I think that one was probably one of the first ones that kind of really gripped me um the other two were great they were really fun but this is the one that when yeah it started to get real kind of thing yeah my my second favorite is book five order of the phoenix the reason being is i one of my favorite favorite scenes of the entire series is in that book and that is the Hall of Prophecies. When they, yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite scenes in the in the entire book, um, or entire series. When they, uh huh, when they all rally behind Harry because they know they need to find this prophecy because they need to know what it says, and they're they're mm-hmm. running through it, and then the Death Eaters pop in, and they have this massive fight that leads to you know Sirius's death and and everything. It it was probably it's it it is it's it's I can't say it enough. It's my favorite scene of the entire series, and it's just gripping. Same thing with the movies. It's probably my favorite scene in all the movies because I love how well done it was. And for me, one of my favorite characters besides Sirius is Ginny Weasley. And in that scene, Ginny Weasley steps into her own and you can see kind of what a badass she is. And I just absolutely adored, I I adore her. And I just, I was so proud that she had her moment where she could show how strong and confident and capable she was in that environment. So, um, book five by far i also think it was the it was the the book where um harry was at his highest teenage angst because that's when he and, and snape <laughs> just did not get along yeah um, oh, and so true. while it 
annoyed me a little bit. It did get annoying. Harry's Harry's attitude and behavior got a little annoying to me. Yeah. But I respected where he came from, and I'm actually glad that that was part of his development instead of just saying, oh, he's going to be this happy, you know, whatever kid the entire book and not actually go through what a, a teenager would honestly probably go through. So mm-hmm. book five is my second favorite. Nice. Okay, my third is um, Half-Blood Prince. So, it, again, similar to you, the, there's a scene which will forever stick in my memory and will forever break my heart is up at the, the top of the tower. 100%. Oh. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember crying so much at that scene. Because I think, I'm pretty sure that before it was released, we were told that somebody was going to die. Mm-hmm. We weren't told who, but we were told somebody we loved was going to die. Um, and also, I remember all of the kind of, oh, who's going to be the Half-Blood Prince? Because we, we were told the title about six months in advance. Yep. And I remember everyone thinking, oh, who's it going to be? Is it Snape? Is it is it Neville? Is it uh, Harry? I remember, exactly. I remember all of that. <laughs> but no, that, that scene just absolutely broke me. And oh. And also, it was the book where you started kind of thinking, okay, maybe Snape isn't the bad guy. I really like the fact that Harry Potter was probably one of the first kids' books where we had, like, proper morally grey characters that you can't really class as good or evil. And that it really made you think about, is there a good and evil? What is good and evil? I mean, we had that quote that my my husband really likes um, and is always saying that Voldemort says about there is no good and evil, there is only power, and those too weak to seek it, which is absolutely amazing quote, fantastic quote, and also pretty much sums up this book ser- the whole book series because it's not about good and evil; it is literally about the search for power or the search to destroy um, the ability to wield that power. And for me, that book just, it kind of, it it was one of the first ones that made me think twice about some of the characters. And obviously we had Sirius Black where we were made to think twice about him earlier on, but it was the whole thing with Snape and the fact that for four books, we were made to thought, and we were kind of made to think that Snape was this bad person and that he was always just like having a go at Harry and he was always jealous of, of Lily and of, of James. And so he was always the bad guy. And he was potentially the one who, who might have been like trying to, to go after him. But that was when we started to see the true Snape, uh-huh. which was just heart-wrenching. It was so heart-wrenching. Um, but yeah, no, that scene just will forever. And they, they did it. They, they did it justice so much in the film. The film, oh. they just, oh, so, they oh, yeah. captured that emotion and so, so beautiful. You know, and I think that th- that moment at the top of the tower was also, and, and, and it's funny because we've both now read Tom Felton's memoir, um, Beyond the Wand, which he kind of yeah. goes back and, and talks about his career kind of before Harry Potter and then what it mm-hmm. was like to be Draco in the Harry Potter movies. And then, of course, what his life has been since. But 
I would agree. My third choice book is also Half-Blood Prince um, for all of the same reasons you said, because it, it, it is... It is the setting of the stage for the conclusion. It, it really is. Yeah. It, everything is now in place for the final battle. And honestly, like, you know, looking back, it, Dumbledore probably had to die because it really literally had yeah. to come down to Harry and Voldemort. And if Dumbledore was there, um, if Snape was there, like, it, there's just too, there's too many st- other strong wizards who could have stepped yeah. in and done something. So... And would have because he would, they were so overprotective of Harry. Exactly. That he would never have got a chance to, to fight them. And and so it had it had to happen. I think it was done so well. Like you know, it, it's horrible to be like they they killed a character and it was fantastic and it was perfect and I respect how they did it. But but I it, it was it was just it was it was beautifully done in a way that really encapsulated the emotions behind it like the the just Mm. the pure grief and trauma that harry felt in that moment um which then you have like bella lestrange who's like off you know or bellatrix lestrange off in the side screaming and dancing and doing all this nonsense and it's just like just you can just see how crazy she is but i also going back to what i mentioned about um draco this book was Draco's moment. Like in all the other books, he's there. Oh, yeah. He's always a presence. He's always a nuisance. He's always that, you know, arch nemesis Just that is, yeah, yeah, which is needed. But this is Draco's book to shine where you see oh, yeah. who he is as a character. You learn a little bit about the fact that he, his parents are very, very, not great parents and <laughs> and, and great English, like. <laughs> yeah they're just you know they're not the best parents in the world they are terrible <laughs> and all of this pressure to kill the greatest wizard of all time is put onto draco knowing draco's not going to be able to do this and it's it's heart-wrenching to watch Draco try to suffer because you really actually get to see, like, he's been a bully, book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. He's been this nuisance, this bully to yeah. Harry, but it's book six where you really begin to realize that there, he's more complex than just a, a classic bully. He he struggles. He um, has issues with with where he is in his life and and the fact that he's trapped he legitimately is trapped and he has no way out and he sees that and to see the fear and the confusion and the desperation like draco really comes into his own in book six and i think that's one of the aspects of that book that i loved so much um besides like i you know all the little things like i loved the, the trip to the cave where they got the locket like i thought that was a really kind of cool scene um, that was emotional. Yeah, but it but it also everything you you got these little hints about how Dumbledore was weakening. Like all of these little yeah. signs were leading to the all fact these that he, slowly yeah, weakened his body. That you like so when he died, it's like oh well, yeah. Now all these things make sense because you know, and the sacrifices. The was that, a hard scene to read though, like seeing. Dumbledore weaken like that and see him being forced to drink that water so that they could recover the locket was just it was hard yeah 
that was kind of the first time we saw that he was true like that he he had weaknesses mm-hmm. yeah it was yeah it was rough all right what's next <sighs> then it's just next one hard i think it's, it's got to be deathly hallows deathly hallows because that was it it was the end and the battle scene was friggin epic like it was crazy it was manic it was like busy it was hectic but also that scene where you thought that we'd where we thought we'd lost harry and oh and neville coming to the rescue oh, oh i, I mean, love neville that was just amazing he finally got his moment to I know. he did it and he killed the snake i was like yes um it was like the last book was just a major roller coaster of emotion Mm -hmm. it was never like it i don't remember it being slow at any point it was constant some sort of emotion and it was yeah it was like it was basically like the end of the legacy it was the end of an era yeah it was the end of a 10 year yeah 10 year series so it was mega emotional, and then to finally see how the word always came into the final, the final sentence, it was like oh. <laughs> and again, we truly saw a lot more about Snape, and I think by the end, Snape became kind of one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I'm going so to play this. I'm going to play this clip. Hang on. Maybe. I'm technology inept. So when the time comes, the boy must die. Yes. Yes. He must die. his Patronus and just and Dumbledore just like has that epiphany of like Lily and he's like oh yeah like oh oh that scene is just like extra emotional after Alan Rickman passed away oh yeah 100% it will always be like stupidly emotional Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah Snape definitely became like in book five and book six um, Snape kind of became one of my favorite characters just because 
Yeah, there were so many different layers to him mm-hmm. that we didn't see until later on. And I guess it's, it is all about, it's another lesson that she's trying to teach us. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Just because he seems like a moody, grumpy git doesn't mean that he is a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, and everyone's like, he's a Death Eater, he's a Death Eater. Like, what they didn't realize is he was like a triple agent. Like, they, like, the Death Eaters thought that he was he being a double awesome. agent. And then, but, but really, he was being a double agent because he was really a triple agent. Yeah. But you think about how... And I know there are a lot of people out there who who hate him, who think he's a horrible character and how he was selfish and everything. And I just, you know, great. Like I, I, sure I can I can see why people think that. But I also see this again the sacrifice and the courage that it took him to mm-hmm. to do what he did and put himself like in jeopardy all the time. And and I also understand why, because everyone's like, well, he was so mean to Harry. He just, he like was mean and bullied him. Yes. But part of that comes from, from jealousy, from longing, from the fact that mm-hmm. he and James didn't get along and how James beat him to the girl he loves. And so there is some, some negative emotions and feelings. Cause when he looks at Harry, he sees a lot of James and he says that throughout the series. Exactly. But at the end of the day, he loves Lily and yeah. and there's there's always that soft spot for Harry. He just can't reconcile the feelings he has for James to be able to, to you truly know, show it. Yeah. And a part of it I also think is if if he was nice and cared about Harry, what would Voldemort think? Yeah, exactly, because he wouldn't be a very good agent. <laughs> he wouldn't yeah. have fooled them otherwise. Exactly, because he's there trying to like monitor Harry and make sure that like everybody knows what's going on with Harry and to kind of keep him in in, in check and under control and all of that so but yes and like and Dobby's Dobby's death that was a dagger through my chest not just through his like oh that was emotional poor Dobby I know like my husband never read any of the Harry Potter books but he saw all the movies (laughs) with me and when Dobby died, right. like, has Greg, he still not read all the Harry Potter books? Has he, has he, read he doesn't. Them? He's not a reader. He doesn't like to read. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he read. He like he listened to a lot of them when I read them to the kids when they were little. So he would. Mm. He like. So I guess, but he never really just sat down and like, I'm listening. Um, <laughs> but he he heard a lot of it. So and I would tell him like I was like whenever I would read one, I'd be like, oh my god, let me tell you what just happened and. Uh, uh, <laughs> So, so he kind of has read it, but he hasn't actually opened the book and physically read them. But Dobby's death was the one thing in the, in the, in all of the series that hit him the most because he just, he loved Dobby. Yeah. So. I know, Dobby was awesome. Yeah. And that was, we lost so many people during the series, during the whole book series, that it was an emotional roller coaster ride. I'm just sending you the image of the um the illustrated first one that I said talking to you about. It is stunning. I wanna get it one day. I will get it one day. They've done book one and two so far. No, they've done one book one and two and three so far. I wonder why they didn't do because I have the one, the Mina Lima from Fantastic Beasts. So I wonder why they started with that one and didn't do Maybe that was just part of when the films, when that film came out. Because remember, the last film came out quite recently. Yeah. Not recently, but like a year or two ago. No, the third one, this, the, the third book, 
is due to come out in October for this. Yeah. And they are stunning versions. If you open mm. up, like your one, it's got like pull outfits and mm-hmm. yeah. Those are, those are cool. Stunning. Um, well, my next book, mm-hmm. my fourth is book four. So, um, don't really need to rehash it cause it's a lot of the same reasons that you said. Um, just, I love the, the different tournaments, like the different elements. I love the fact that I feel that between book three and four is when you actually begin to see the characters individuality. Like they, you yeah. actually see them in normal clothes and they're not always in their robes. And you know, you have, um, like especially in, in, in book three where you have like Hermione punching Draco and, um, <laughs> you know, just really coming into the oh. own. And then in book four, you have the Yule ball where you get to kind of see them in more of that traditional teenage, yeah. almost prom kind of like environment is, is kind of cool. And the Quidditch world cup and just, there's just so many elements of, of book four that were just really cool. Um, and then of course, ending with Cedric's, murder and the return of of you know Voldemort was was the turning point because at that point it's, it's a new ball game like before that Voldemort mm-hmm. didn't have a body and couldn't really do much but mm-hmm. it was the turning point where everything everything was going to change for all of them um, and also that's what that is the book we kind of started seeing the little spark kindle between Hermione and Ron mm-hmm like you yeah. could feel it, like you could see the the jealousy from coming from Ron at the Yobo. Oh, I still think that's a weird pairing. <laughs> I just, I just, Ron and Hermione just seem like a very awkward pairing to me. <laughs> but who am I to judge love? I think Harry and Ginny go. That that's a good pairing. I, I do. I think that's a good pairing too. I love that pairing. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like Ginny kind of stabilizes Harry, like kind of brings him back down to earth. Yeah, I agree. Because she's so grounded. You know who we haven't talked about is Luna. Oh, Luna. I Luna's her. awesome. I just, I, I love this, like, I just love her character. I love her quirkiness. I love her, her, this is who I am and deal yeah. with who I am and just, like, her off-the-wall things and her, and, like, even her nonchalance when, like, she is kind of mistreated and just, like, oh, well, like, you know, it's fine because she's just, like, this is how people are. People just don't get me, but this is who I am, and I am unashamedly me, and I love, I think she's such a good character for girls at that age when they're reading it, Um, and that's that's one of the things I love. I'm just gonna say, especially with her kind of underlying darkness mm-hmm. from her past, and yeah. the whole scene about being able to see the um, what's the vessels, vessels, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the thestrals, thestrals, the things that carry the that fly the, the the carriages, yeah, yeah. fly the carriages, the and that we found out, we found out, obviously, why only certain people can see them because obviously they've witnessed death, mm-hmm. and this is when we learn that Luna is has witnessed death and that's kind of it added that underlying kind of darkness to her mm-hmm. and also gave also kind of if anything made her more inspirational because she overcame this and she became quite a kind of loving kind of nice character yeah who at the same time managed to yeah as you say is very much a this is me mm-hmm. if you are horrible to me whatever yeah Get over yourselves. <laughs> and, and she's, she's also not like, horrible. 
No, and she's and she's a strong personality because I mean, she was yeah. there at in book five in the the Hall of Prophecies and she fought and she you know yeah. she, so where people probably think she's just kind of like more of a clueless kind of character who's just kind of floating around. She's not. She's no, she's exactly. tough and she's capable and she's confident and she's just she's such a good role model for kids and I just really loved I think her. She's another. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I think she's another one where she comes, when you first meet her, she comes across as quite a whimsical, kind of mm-hmm. fun, kind of light character. But the deeper you look, the more you realise that's not her. As you say, she's strong. She's she's quite confident. She's a badass. Yeah. She's a badass who looks like a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that description. Oh my gosh, I love that description. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. So okay. So we're down to the final three. So Ooh. I mean my next one in that that case has to be Order of the Phoenix. Um very similar reasons to what you said. And also that scene um with the prophecies and finding out the prophecy. The prophecy was so shocking. Like being at finding out only one can survive. Like, mm-hmm. just that was a major um, turning point because you're suddenly realizing, shit, so they've got to die. Yeah. Like, before that, we just assumed that Harry just had to kill him. But now we realize it. And then, and that's when it becomes like, that's like, then you, when, because by the time you get to book um, six and you start learning about the Horcruxes and book seven, and you realize why he has to die. Yeah. Oh, and also because Forks is awesome. I love Forks. (sighs) Forks is just like such a great character. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All the creatures, like I loved Hedwig. I loved Forks. I loved like Buckbeak. I mean, I just, I loved all of the little animals. Oh yeah. And um, Crookshanks. And well... Yeah, I love Crookshanks. I mean, I can't say much about um, Scabbers because Scabbers wasn't really a rat. He, <laughs> yeah, he was a person. No, <laughs> um, but I loved Crookshanks and just yeah. So no, all the all the creatures were just so amazing and well, they're fantastical. Yeah, so exactly. Were, yeah, just it was so so good and all with the hippogriffs and the um, all the creatures that they created from it. Just it must have taken so long to create all those mythical creatures I know. um when you look at things like the fantastic beast series and i love the creatures in that mm-hmm. i absolutely love all of them the nifflers, nifflers oh I, I want a niffler <laughs> like oh I want a niffler. how do i get one of those <laughs> i know exactly um but yeah so but i say very similar reasons fox is awesome and that prophecy was just yeah a major game changer for the series and really kind of made you think about the next two books and what could happen. Yeah. Um, and my next one is book seven. And really, again, for the same reasons, it's just, I just love, I do, I, I'm big on conclusions and how books end. And yeah. I really, really appreciated that so many little hints and foreshadowing moments throughout the first six books came together and all fell on the place and it's just like um 
it was just so well done and so emotional and so inspirational at the same time. And just like you just you learn everything that you needed to learn that you hadn't had a chance to learn yet. Like just, you know, we had that scene with um, Dumbledore and Snape, but then you had the moment where Snape gave his tears as he's dying to Harry so that Harry can actually understand everything was just so powerful and and it was so important because it allowed Harry to not go through the rest of his life thinking and feeling a way that he needed to not feel and we see that in the in how Harry how Harry and Ginny choose to name their kids um you know I thought the epilogue was a little but um (laughs) it didn't i mean unlike some series it didn't leave you wanting more it i mean you always want more with harry potter but it didn't you said always i see what you did there always (laughs) (laughs) not possibly wrong but um but it didn't leave you with kind of all the storylines were tied up nicely Mm -hmm. and it left you feeling satisfied i agree and content but not wanting to end no, one hundred percent. Going on, going I don't yeah. want to speak the last page. <laughs> but it's just like everything just came together, like all the lessons of life and the themes, and you know, friendship and family, and you know what it means to be a family, even if it's not blood family, and even blood family might not be good people. Like finding your people, and 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 like growing up and the challenges and just like, there's just so many powerful lessons in the series that that's part of why I enjoyed teaching it with my students. And I taught it for a couple of years. Like I continued to teach it um, Mm -hmm. after that year. And it, because the kids can relate to it because kids can relate to kids when kids are created to, to represent and to be similar to them, to go through things that they're going through. So yes, they're witches and wizards and blah, 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 blah. But they're still kids, and they still grew up. And I think there's just there's so much relatable information in there to adults, to kids, to teenagers. And I think that's why it's still so powerful today because we can still relate to it at the the, the basic humanity level of. Oh yeah, I mean a lot of the the lessons that you learned were ageless. There was no age limit to these lessons. A lot of them are ones we can take on even as adults, as you say. Yeah. So that's why it will always be an important series and it will always be something that sticks with us and that you can never be too old for Harry Potter. Never. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching I know I'll be watching it when I'm like seventy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm gonna be watching it with my grandkids. Exactly. My great grandkids. Like <laughs> I like assuming that my kids choose to have kids and I'm still around. Um like it's it is it it's such a it's such a huge, huge piece of like of my of my life of my world of my 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 literature world it's just so powerful um i'm i'm gonna jump in on the last one i'm gonna lump one and two together um as my finals because neither i don't really feel like either one is more discernible than the other one they really just are the setting the stage books and so like if i had to pick a favorite out of the two i'd probably pick the first one because i enjoyed the the end where they have to go through all the different rooms like yeah. Alice in Wonderland but <laughs> it's hard it's really hard for me to separate one and two they're 
I, I loved them. Like, it's hard to say that they're my least yeah. favorite books, but because I loved them all. And I spent years teaching that first Harry Potter book mm-hmm. to my students. So there's there's a fundamental like attachment that I have with that book. But for looking at and en- the encompassing all of the books, one and two are would be at the end of my list. Yes, collectively. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think, again, same as you, I'd say the first one is just ahead of the second one. But that's mainly because it was the beginning. It was it was our introduction to the magical world. And we were shown, like, that's why we met all the characters and the world and the creatures. So it was, like, each new fun little surprise. And, of course, there is that fam- uh, famous moment of Hagrid saying, you're a witch, Harry. Oh, yes. Which, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, so, yeah, no, I completely agree. I, the, the first one's slightly ahead, but I'd say that the last two, although I absolutely love them, they are kind of my least favorite of the whole series, which um, isn't saying much because, I mean, they are pretty much, if anything, like, exactly. <laughs> like, tiny bit lower. <laughs> <laughs> not, they're, it's not like this one and this one kind of thing. <laughs> right. They're so close. I mean, the whole series is just, it's yeah. just such a, ma- I mean, it is. It's, it's about magic and it's a magical series it just the 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 legacy and the impact of of literature that this book has had and the series has had you know is just it's on it's unparalleled and it just it really was a starting point for a lot of other 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 series and that like again that breakthrough moment of having these books now be created and, and acceptable and you know whatever the blend blend those age groups of readers and you know it's just it's just it's just so good so 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 flipping good and i've got a few little interesting stats for you okay. uh, to show just how big and how kind of major these books have been for us so as of february 2023 the books have sold more than 600 million copies worldwide 600 million um which is like amazing it's um it's made it the um, best-selling book series in history. So, in the history of books, it is the best-selling book series, and it is now available in eighty-five languages. And also, the last four books consecutively set records as the fastest-selling books in history. So, wow. the final instalment sold two point seven million copies in United Kingdom in the first twenty-four hours of its release. And in the United States, it sold 8.3 million copies in the first 24 hours of its release. That is crazy numbers. Absolutely crazy numbers. And like, I'm not surprised. It's like, it's it's done so well. I'm pretty sure that I think it's like the fourth most read, like third most read author or something, isn't it? I think after the Bible and Shakespeare. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up there. I would have to go and, and look, yeah. but it's just, and it's just so funny because you know you have this this generational like this book that changes generations and it will be impacting generations to come. Oh, yeah. You know, we already talked last month about the the remake that we're already remaking this this the series, um, and you know, which just in itself is so crazy when it's been it hasn't been all that long since the last movie was released and we still have like the fantastic beast movies that are coming out so this is still an active world that we're seeing and we're already I've been told that the, yeah I've, been, I've heard that the um fantastic beasts we're not getting any more i thought we were getting one more 
And I keep, I keep some being different rumours, like, according to um, people, supposedly that might have been the last one because of issues that Warner Brothers have had. Ugh, that's Which true. sucks, because Fantastic Beasts were amazing. And I just, people, and I loved I, where I we were right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I loved where this last one ended, and it's just like... You mean, uh, in fact, we're about to get a massive battle in the next yes. one. Yes! It's like we're finally at that point that is referenced in the normal Harry Potter series where they like Mm -hmm. they have this huge duel like Grindelwald and Dumbledore like I wanted to see it. Exactly. No, it's yeah, so sad. But um, the thing is, the the films were just as superb. The the cast and money they put into the into that series was amazing, and it's one of those films where I can honestly say. Each casting was perfect. I can't think of better char- better actors who could have played each of those roles. I know. And that's what makes me a little bit hesitant about this remake because nobody's ever going to be a better Hagrid than Robbie Coltrane. Nobody's ever going to be a better Snape than Alan Rickman. No. And it's and the just, kids, it the like, kids themselves. Exactly. Like... Yeah. They. I mean, Hermione, even like Emma Watson. In real life, is Hermione. She yeah. has always embodied Hermione. Yeah. Whether that was because she became her character in the end because she did it for 10 years or yeah. whether it's because that was always her. Yeah, it's but, just... I mean, the saddest thing now is, like, the amount of actors we have lost on in the Harry Potter series, I in know. the Harry Potter film series. Oh, Robbie Coltrane yeah. this year was just a... That was hard. ...devastating blow. That was really hard. Alan Rickman was really hard. That was, really was that was hard um, and i i'll always love not only will i love alan rickman forever for his role as snape but also for for his role in die hard like oh my god yes like <laughs> the german <laughs> yeah i'm like come on like hans gruber hans gruber uh-huh <laughs> so it's just like uh, I, w- I only watched that for the first time a few years ago carl got me to watch it and so good. yeah it was great it was okay so, so completely off topic would you consider die hard a christmas movie or not <laughs> that's like the ultimate debate i mean you see carl does he's, he's insistent my husband is insistent that it is a christmas movie um i mean it is at christmas time it's a christmas so movie. i guess yeah i guess i'd have to say it's a christmas movie okay all right, my friend. We have now talked for over an hour about Harry Potter and our passion. So let's do our either or. Is it my either or? Yes. It's your either or, yeah. It's my either or. All right. So as a, as always, we have ten either or questions. We fail at this next piece in in. You know, it's inevitable that we're going to fail, but no explanations. We have to pick one or the other, and then we move on. It's supposed to be a speed round. All right. Okay. All Harry Potter based. You ready, Liz? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Snape or Dumbledore? Snape. Snape. Avada Kedavra or Crucio? Or Cruciatio? (laughs) Whatever. The, the two curses, the two the two illegal curses. The killing curse or the torture curse. I mean, it's going to be a bad Absolutely. <laughs> why, why bother torturing them? Just kill them. Exactly. Um, just get it over and done with. <laughs> flying on a broom or a hippogriff? Hippogriff. Oh, I'd pick a broom. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think I could I control mean, the broom better than an animal. That's true. 
That is true. But yeah. Hippogriff would also make a cool little pet. And, like, that is true. Room would I... be very good company. <laughs> true. But, yeah, you know, and what if it didn't like me and if I bowed and it bit my head off instead of, like, <laughs> bowing back? Like, I don't know. Um, dragons or unicorns? Dragons. I'd pick dragons, too, but I do love how the unicorns are represented and presented in the book. I love you. I just love unicorns because unicorns are awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, Hermione or Ginny? Hermione. I'm gonna pick Ginny. I love Ginny. We are, uh, we are Hermione. You can't you can't deny we are Hermione. We are. We are. We're nerds. We love reading. Maybe I wish I was just a little bit more Ginny, <laughs> because I do yeah. think Ginny is a more badass character than Hermione. Hermione is smart oh, and, yeah. like, totally, like, I'm surprised she's not a Ravenclaw, but yeah. Ginny, I, I, I want to, I want to, I want to be a blend of both. Oh, my God. I've got, uh, we haven't actually mentioned this. Did you ever sort yourself into a, into the sorting hat? On oh, the I've sorted myself. I've done my, I have my wand. I have my Patronus. I did all that stuff. Okay, who? Okay, what, what house are you? I am a Ravenclaw, through and through. What are you? I'm a Hufflepuff. Oh! <laughs> My daughter's a Hufflepuff. Um, what is your, um, what is your, what am I thinking? Patronus. Oh, no, I can't remember that. You, you tell, tell people yours whilst I'm quickly logging into the site. So my Patronus is a Siberian cat. Ooh. See, the reason that I've did mine recently is I played the Hogwarts Legacy game, which, by the way, was amazing. My son has and... it, and he stopped playing it because he couldn't get past a certain point. Like, there's something's <gasps> giving him struggle, so he's moved on to a different game. He'll go back to it at some point. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's he's, just... He loves it. Mine was a deer hound, my Patronus. Oh. Uh, like a dog? Yeah. Is a deer hound like a dog? Like a... I don't know what a deer hound uh... is. Yeah, it looks like it. Okay. It's Why probably can't a they just say dog. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a... Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I can cast my Patronus. I can show you the... So it's, it's funny because like I actually made everybody in my house take the tests. So we sorted everybody in my house and gave everybody a Patronus and all those things. So what 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 is funny nice. is... My husband, so we're a family of four, and all four of us are in a different house. Oh, my God, please say that your husband's in, in Slytherin. He sure is. <laughs> yep. So I'm in Ravenclaw, my, daughter, my daughter's Hufflepuff, my son is Gryffindor, and my husband is Slytherin. <laughs> to be fair, my husband's Slytherin as well. So, so see? Yeah, there you go. Oh brilliant. Okay. Yeah, no, but but yeah, Hogwarts Legacy you need to play. If you if you can like steal your your the console of your son, play it because it's serious serious Hogwarts like Harry Potter vibes and like yeah. nostalgia. Aww. It's amazing. I've enjoyed watching it. And also, also at one point you get to, you get to look after all of the animals, Aww. so you can have Nifflers and Hippogriffs and Thestrals and like all of the and the, the cats. I can't remember what cats are called, but yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> all right, good to know. I just love it. <laughs> All right, back to this. That was talk about a major like, <laughs> tangent there. All right, well we're halfway done. We have the other five to go. Here we go. So who would you bring back, Sirius or Snape? Snape. I'd bring back Sirius. Um, the invisibility cloak or the Elder Wand? 
in this particular like me too would <laughs> now this is this question is based off of the triwizard tournament so would you prefer to be in the in the one where you're fighting the dragons or where you had to save your friends from the mer people fighting mm, dragons i think i'd pick the dragons too. <laughs> all right luna or neville oh neville i'm picking luna and then yes. would you rather take potions or dark arts dark arts dark arts for sure oh and also oh. can we just appreciate how hot the actor who played neville has become now oh yeah like he is like gone from like geek from from geek to like whew, hello yeah puberty really helped him he, yeah yeah uh, i mean seriously yeah wow. now like he never puts a shirt on anymore <laughs> Good. I know, right? He knows what he's doing. He totally knows what he's doing. So, oh my gosh. All right. So, thank you if you've made it this long through our show. Thank you so much because I do believe right now we are pushing the over two hour mark. Um, So, we will be back uh, in just two weeks with our Speaking Literally book club where we will be welcoming Jen and Steph back with us and we will be discussing Emily Henry's new book happy place and i'm sure we'll be talking about our own happy places because that is a big focus of the story itself so between (laughs) then and now liz where can they find you on the in the matrix in the matrix in the matrix where can they find you Um, okay so (laughs) um on instagram you can find me at lizzie's little book nook and um website is lizzie's little book nook.co.uk and Holly, where can we find you? On Instagram, I'm azdesert underscore bookworm. And my website is just www.azdesertbookword, all one long word, dot com. Um, so please find us. Please check us out. Um, this podcast also is Speaking Literally Podcast on Instagram as well. So please follow us, um, chat with us, let us know what you think. Tell us what your favorite Starbucks drink is, if you remember that. Don't forget, Liz did insult me at the beginning of the show, so I'm going to have to come up with some type of retribution um, to issue her. Uh, but I hope that you've enjoyed the show. Feel free to give us comments wherever we have this posted on our Instagram on your thoughts and your favorite books of Harry Potter. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, we will see you in two weeks. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading.